Welcome to Free Speech Nation, the podcast with me, Andrew Doyle. I'm very thrilled to have an actual social justice activist with me, uh, Hayden Prowse, who is also writer, comedian, star of the hit BAFTA award-winning TV show, The Revolution Will Be Televised. But you've got a new project. Last uh, five months ago, uh, a new column appeared in The Spectator uh, called Wokey Leaks, and uh, this was a whistleblowing column by someone from within the social justice movement, calling themselves Edward Snowflake. And it's you. So this is your coming out. This is like, I, yeah. I feel like I'm Oprah and you're Ellen DeGeneres. That's what this yeah. is today. Coming out as, as right wing. Well, we spoke about this, didn't we? We said that it's harder to come out as um, right wing as, than, than it is as gay now. It is. Although it's even harder when you're not right wing, but everybody just miswings you. Yes. And tells you that you're a fascist. Exactly. It doesn't because matter. Because you slightly disagree with their opinion. Exactly. Well, the, yeah. the meaning of right wing has changed mm. considerably. Uh, so the you, ground you, has shifted. It has shifted somewhat. Yeah. So since this is... Uh, your unveiling. Mm. Why don't you tell us a bit about the project first, about WokeyLeaks, what it, what it was intended to do, what it has done? WokeyLeaks uh, has been a column in The Spectator uh, for the last five months, where myself, a disillusioned social justice warrior, uh, has been leaking information from deep in the heart of the uh, social justice movement. Um, it started out as a bit of a joke, but there is a serious aspect to it. We actually set up an encrypted email address, which is WokeyLeaks at protonmail.com and it's kind of become quite a serious tip line for people often in big corporations that are just incredibly frustrated at this this mad obsession with identity politics that corporations seem to have now. People that are upset or confused at some of the, the more troubling aspects of woke culture like cancel culture um, and we've had, a f we've had some tips that are I think fairly newsworthy mm. so because I think they're about to be fairly big news I think it's time for me to perhaps Stop, just stop, you know, pus pussyfitting around as Edward Snowflake and be honest, it's me. Well, before we go into the specific stories <clears throat> and why you felt the need to mm. remain anonymous, um, could you just give us a sense of your credentials? Because you, you yeah. actually have. I'm a bona fide social justice warrior. Right, yeah. exactly. I'd say the majority of my career in, in TV and film and um, advertising has been social justice orientated. I've been uh, making sort of campaign films, activist films um, for about about almost 15 years. Yeah, I've been making TV shows for the BBC and Channel 4, um, almost all of which could be described, I guess, as sort of left-wing campaigning comedy. Yes. You know, we would go and prank uh, David Cameron, Boris Johnson, mostly right-wing political figures, I guess because they were the political figures that were in power at the time during mm -hmm. the time that most of my shows were airing. But um, also just because comedy has been a left-wing endeavour for most of my memory. Yes. And um, that's fine. And I'm still left-wing. Um, you have to keep saying that, by I'm the way. I'm still left-wing. Left even though with the GB News <laughs> thing behind you. Yeah, you know. <laughs> left-wing. So I'm a bona fide, uh, you know, social justice warrior. I've, had, I've, I've, had MP, I've got MPs fired from, from Cabinet, a Tory MPs fired from Cabinet. I've, I've cancelled people. I'm, I'm an old-school cancel culture guy. And I had a bit of a reckoning with myself, I think, uh, a long time ago, before woke culture really became a thing, where I got someone fired who deserved to be fired because they'd done something legitimately bad. And I did an investigation and a sort of activist journalism campaign into this person, got the person fired, but then had a moment of reckoning where I kind of tried to understand why I, I had done this. And was it because I genuinely thought that this person losing their job would make the world a better place? Or was it because I was really interested deep in a sort of really deep, profound way of as casting myself into sort of some, some kind of like hero of the people role. And yeah. I realized that a lot of what I was doing was actually entertainment. And I think people have lost sight of that because the world is now, the, the online world is now, you know, full of thousands, hundreds of thousands of marauding social justice warriors. Everyone's a social justice warrior now because of social media. People mm. have lost sight of the fact that actually it's, it's entertainment. Yes. It's all entertainment. They're not actually doing anything or maybe they are but what are their KPIs you know if you do a, a charity campaign and I've done loads of them you go back to the charity afterwards and you say what's the KPIs like have we you know our key performance indicators have we achieved what we promised you we'd achieve but there's none of that in this completely unleashed world of social justice I, I struggle to understand if it's made our society better and yeah. I think you'd have to say that social justice woke social justice 
social media vigilantism began in earnest about five, six years ago. Yes. And has our society got better in the last five, six years? I think you'd struggle to find someone that say yes to that. Yeah, I mean, James Lindsay talks about this thing of this woke tipping point, and he thinks that everyone's got one. Mm. Even someone like you, who's, who, you know, <laughs> who's so woke. Even a woke. Even the epitome of woke. <laughs> the epitome of woke. That's what yeah. you are, I think. Yeah, you're the I've hit my limit, yeah. The embodiment of the, of the concept, mm. but it's... it's you're right. Well, you are because it's interesting. Because no, yeah. when you started the WikiLeaks thing, and yeah. I was tweeting out the article, mm. and I kept getting posts like, "Oh, this is just some right winger yeah. who's just going to have a go yeah. at the woke and stuff." And I, I wanted to say, I campaigned on the doorstep for Jeremy Corbyn at the last two elections. I've never voted anything other than Labour or Green. And you're completely right because everyone, not everyone, but I've obviously told large numbers of people mm. about the fact that I write WikiLeaks. It's not a very well kept secret. But all of my lefty friends that I speak to, because that's all of my friends. Yeah all kind of agree with me. You say to them, do you know what, I'm writing this thing called WikiLeaks, and they're like, oh my God, thank, thank yeah. God, it's going too far. And they say it not because they're any more or less left-wing, but I think they feel like it's undermining the genuinely important messages that the left could have and give still. Yes. And it's tearing, I mean, tearing I'm, them apart. I have the same experience, is that I often speak to left-wing people who are absolutely, because this, this social justice movement doesn't strike me as particularly left-wing. It's no. very middle-class orientated in its concerns. Yeah. And, you know, and people can't believe that you can be on the left and opposed to this stuff because yeah. they associate. In fact, there was an article in The Independent talking about GB News, and it mentioned me. Mm. And it said Andrew Doyle, who claimed to have voted for Jeremy Corbyn. <laughs> yeah. Like, did you? No, yeah, I did. When? So, last election? One before. <laughs> yeah, I think anyone that so, did it in the last election was just that habit, really, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> or pity or something. Pity or something yeah. um, but no, I, and, and that, to me, that's mm. really interesting, is that, that it's become so much about left and right, mm. whereas actually the social justice movement isn't really about left and right. No. You're absolutely right. Uh, they're kind of obsolete terms, and um, I don't really know what they mean anymore. I mean, especially especially since Brexit, you know, I think we're all confused about what left is and what right yeah. is. And I think, um, yeah, I think it's not the way society is divided anymore, but we're still sort of stuck with, them, with these obsolete terms. But you, you say that you've, you've mentioned it to friends and people you yeah. know that you've done this and that they're grateful for it and they think it's a good thing. Yeah. Um, do you, have you mentioned it to anyone and they've had a, a kind of negative no, reaction? not a single person. Right, yeah. That's interesting. Maybe I've chosen fairly wisely because I do know some batty left-wingers who, who, who would be very angry. But I think those people almost, I think, yeah, almost all of those people are social media famous. Mm. And I think there's a link between the craziness of wokeness and, and social media fame. Like I say in the articles that never before in history have so many people been famous in society, right? Social yeah. media has created a whole new societal class that I call the famoisee <laughs> that never existed 10 years ago. Like yeah. there are more people that self-identify as famous now than ever. I think, it, I don't think Instagram actually or Facebook release numbers, but there are some figures to suggest that there are more people with 10,000 to 100,000 followers on Instagram than there yes. are with 1,000 to 10,000. Yes. Right? So there, are, there is this large social group who yes. think they're famous and they have all the sort of endemic neuroses and narcissism and vanity that come with fame. You meet anyone that's famous, they're a bit fucking mad. <laughs> and, and, and suddenly we have a whole societal class of mad people yeah. who have this sort of raving narcissism. So... <laughs> no, I, I couldn't agree more. You see it I've all had the time. It. Yeah. I've had it myself. Like, yeah. I've, do, I've done things in the name of social justice that I thought, that I convinced myself was for social justice, that I realised was ultimately for clicks and follows and likes. I think a lot of it's about ego. Yeah. Not, not in you. I'm yeah. not trying to I don't, diagnose I, I want to out myself. Because the thing is, is there's so much outing of other people. I think it's yeah. really important just to be honest about who you are. I want to out myself yeah. as, as a fake hypocrite social justice. Not always. There's stuff that I've done that's really good. Yeah. But I think... In a society where our biggest problem is, is division, like perhaps the most important thing you can do is, is critique yourself a little bit and be a little bit honest yeah. about your own fuck-ups Well, it's like hypocrisy. Jordan Peterson says, get your own house in order. Get your own house in order, yeah. So, yeah, you see, you're going to the dark side here, aren't yeah. you? <laughs> Jordan Peterson. What, what, so why, yeah. um, okay, but you, you started... I hate the, Jordan Peterson, by the way, I'm very left-wing. I don't, I was yeah. just on his podcast. Yeah. Um, so, um, <laughs> so why, though, when you started the WikiLeaks thing, mm. did you... Um, decide to be anonymous from the app. I mean, if you're saying yeah. that actually you're sensing that yeah. now is the time where more and more people on the left are saying, yeah. come on, this has got to stop. Why remain in the closet? And, and why have you decided now, now's a good time to just come out? 
I remain in the closet because... Uh, I love that we're using this metaphor, by the way. <laughs> yeah. It's so offensive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. To who? To gays. To gays. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I stayed in the closet because I cancel culture. It's such a sort of, you know, yeah, I don't even know what it means. But I genuinely am still worried that there are certain things that, certain work that I won't do. Most of what I do right now is not on screen. Mm. Uh, you know, I can't, as a heterosexual white middle class male, it's very hard to get a job anymore. You know, in TV. I don't know if you're being serious or not. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I uh, cut that out. Um, <laughs> no, let me just think about that answer. I think, okay, I think the reason that um, I remained anonymous was because, although like cancel culture sounds like quite a dramatic thing to say, mm. I think it is a bit more insidious than that. And like, I, I work for the BBC still, mostly producing through my company, so I'm not on screen or anything like that. But I work for the BBC or I work for major. Um, you know, sort of platforms and broadcasters. And when you have meetings with people like that, they're almost the wokest of all, which I think is really mm -hmm. telling. Like major corporations are the most woke of the woke, right? And it's not because they have some grand ideology about how to make the world a better place. It's because they're just terrified of pissing people off. They just want the smoothest possible path yeah. to profit they can possibly imagine. And they know what the online world is like, and the online world is woke, and if they piss anyone off, they're going to get a backlash. So it's better for them to just stay quiet and agree to everything that the most lunatic wokies say. So yes. if I go into meetings like that and I'm pitching for something and I'm associated with something like WokiLeaks, I guess there is a chance that some producer might just be like, oh my God. Yeah, so, so how is it then? So it could lose me work. So, yeah, you know, this is... But you raise an interesting point. Is that in, in, how have we got to the point where the, the people on the left are cheering on corporations, are cheering on the yeah. establishment, uh, you know, the, uh, yeah. Harry and Meghan, royal family, you know, it's, right. it's, 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 it seems as though I couldn't, I don't know how you reconcile that with a left-wing position. Yeah, I'd, I've written a lot about this. Uh, there's, it's, it's strange, like, there's obviously the kind of, um, the, the hyper self-important social justice warrior thing isn't exclusive to the left and to Wokies, right? There are plenty mm. of anti-Wokies that spend their entire time doing culture war bickering on, on Twitter and yeah. it's part of their career path. It's like, I'm just going to argue about this for the rest of my life and, yeah. and get on question time and then whatever. So it's not exclusive to the left, but it's, um, it is true, I think, to say that if you, if you look at who's the darling of late stage capitalism, yeah. you go on the Instagram and the Twitter pages of the social media famous of the left, of woke culture, and it's them. You know, it's, it's one is a post about you know, Biden or Black Lives Matter, and then you've got a Volkswagen advert or a Hugo Boss advert, or, you know, like Kendall Jenner's doing a private, literally a private jet advert next yeah. to some woke thing about checking your privilege. It's, it's fully insane. Yes. And I don't, it's, it's hard for me to, how, how the left reconciles that. Well, I it's don't think like, they do particularly well. Yeah. I mean, let's take one of the examples from WokeLeaks, which is your story mm. that you broke about Pride. Mm. And you pointed out the hypocrisy of uh, the corporations that were proudly flying the rainbow flag, except yeah. in the countries like Saudi Arabia, in the Middle East, places where to mm. be gay is illegal, sometimes is attended with the death penalty. Yeah. And uh, where it might make a difference, you know, flying the flag in those countries, in the way that I feel that flying the rainbow flag yeah. 40 years ago right. had purpose yeah. and meaning. And, and, and now that it's safe to do yeah. so. You see, the corporations weren't flying the rainbow flag before the age of consent was equalised in this country, right. or before equal right. marriage. Exactly, yeah. Where were they when Harvey Milk and his mates were getting battered on the streets right. of San Francisco? They weren't there. They were just silent. And they're, they're still silent in places where that's happening. I think Gay Pride Month is the biggest woke-washing month in, of the year. It's yeah. literally the opportunity for every single corporation on the planet to, to boost sales by getting on board some, some bandwagon. But it happens in everything. And there's very little... It's the responsibility of people in those movements to call that stuff out and they don't do it. And that, I think Why that's not, what though? frustrates me. <laughs> it's a good question. I don't know. I mean, the, the point, one of the points that I make is Nike and, and the BLM movement and how Nike co-opted Colin Kaepernick for a very sizable fee. Yeah. Um, <laughs> while they were not only paying Donald Trump for use of his store in New York, they were also... Um, Phil Knight, who is the founder and the biggest shareholder of Nike, about three months after the Colin Kaepernick advert, which boosted Nike sales by some 30 million, yeah. I'm, I'm going to guess, made the single largest donation to Donald Trump's Republican Party ever made. Right. And it's this bizarre loop. Yeah, yeah. Where, and, and I searched online 
for any BLM criticism of Nike for this mad hypocrisy funding Donald Trump's Republican Party whilst also claiming to be BLM advocates. And there was none. Yeah. And I, I don't, what, why is it that the, I don't know why it is. Why, why, well, why do you think it is? I have no idea either. <laughs> I, I, you know, I, what, what concerns me is this, is this thing about um, having those discussions. I mean, that's mm. a discussion that people should probably have. Yeah. And, and, and exposing that and simply talking about that with people who claim to be on the left. Mm. It, I, I would have thought that was a priority for the left, actually, yeah. um, if you think about it. Um, but, you know, when I started criticising the, the social justice movement, mm. because I, I saw it as anti-left, I saw mm. it as anti-progress. Yeah. Um, but by, even by doing so, you know, I'd, I'd go into the performers' bars at Edinburgh in the yeah. Fringe and people would stop looking at me or move away. Right, yeah. People I've known for years. <laughs> yeah. And I started thinking, oh, well, I'm, you know, in for a penny, in for a pound at this point. Like, yeah. I may as well keep going. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, but, but you haven't had that. So maybe Not this is my, my poor personality. But, but I think maybe times have changed a little bit now. Maybe, maybe this is the time where people on the left, it's reached such a tipping point where they're yeah. like, okay, yes, we can have the conversation now. We can yeah. do this. I hope so. I, otherwise I, you're I've just get... done it. You said to me before this podcast, don't do it because... <laughs> no, that was my instinct. So, so <laughs> I should actually clarify that. I didn't say don't do it. Hayden uh, texted me to let me know that he was thinking about it himself. And mm. because I was... And my immediate reaction, I just immediately sent back, oh, don't. And I was thinking yeah. of all the friends that I've lost yeah. by being openly yeah. critical of this stuff. Have any of them, have you reconciled anything with any of them in the last... Since? One. Yeah. So there's what. So there's so starting one, to maybe change. There's one friend who we're now friends again, and we yeah. didn't talk for about a year. But, but the, a lot of my, my closest friends have gone. Yeah. And, and I think too much has been said. Yeah. Um, not by me, I have to, and yeah. that sounds like I'm being defensive, but not by me. Yeah. But they've, they've just been too horrible. Yeah. That I don't know how they could unpick that, even if they wanted to, right. because they're probably too embarrassed. Yeah. I think. So I don't know. So yeah, my reaction was, because I, no, I was worried about you and your friendship groups. Yeah. But I also know that it's the right thing to do. Yeah. And I did say I that in a follow-up text. I'm yeah, going to point that out. You did, it's true, he did say that. <laughs> I think it is the right thing to do because I, I have just felt, I've just, I mean, I don't, I hardly tweet anymore as an example because I, I just feel so disingenuous doing it and I feel like I've been really kind of in, in, intellectually dishonest, I think, mm. for the last couple of years. I haven't really said what, what I feel. I've had huge problems with the way things are going and not, and not said anything. But that's really weird and scary that that is the case, that people feel like that. And we're and, not on balance. Do you feel better being honest? I don't know yet. Let's see in, in a week when I lose all my friends and my mum won't talk to me. My mum's the wor most worried person. She's really? like, darling, you can't be right wing. And it's, and it's hilarious because my mum's very middle class. And actually, I, 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 I associate a lot of this woke the, politics with the sort, of, um, the sort of liberal Islington dinner party etiquette kind of conversation yeah. that I grew up with. And I, I love my parents. They're amazing. They're very left wing. Yeah. It's very much about not offending people. Yeah. It's very much about saying the right thing and gosh, you mustn't say that about immigrants and that sort of stuff. Yeah, and yeah. It, it's really... It's, so it's more etiquette than... It's, I think a lot of this stuff is etiquette and I think that goes back to your corporation point because actually, I think in many ways, it's not in these, any of these people's interest to really deconstruct society in an extremely mm. meaningful way because that's what Brexit is doing, right? Or yeah. had, had the potential to do and they all freaked out. So deconstructing a society that is working for you is a very scary prospect, whereas ticking some etiquette boxes and not offending people is quite an easy prospect. It also works for corporations because it's an easy press release. It's cheap as well. And it's a cheap press release, and they can continue to churn out you know, trainers and, and say BLM while employing slaves in China. Um, yeah. And I think, I think it, it's, all, it's very surface. Uh, I just feel like I've out and cussed my mum because she's amazing. No, 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 you were very no, no, yeah. no, no, you were very nice she, about her there. Don't she's worry. brilliant, but it, but it is a very, it's, it's a very middle class thing to be overly concerned with the etiquette of a, of of the you know the the, the, the etiquette of politics, and and you, you see actually, Piketty um, has in his recent book I've heard I haven't read I've just seen a graph from it I read the last one I haven't read them I'm not. Yeah, I haven't the touched bit. them. Right, okay. I read about a, a quarter of the first one and then well, gave, it was that, gave that, up. Well, it's a long enough, it's a big yeah, tome, isn't it? It's a tome, yeah. <laughs> um, but in the new one, he has this graph where he plots the, um, the, the dispersal of wealth between left, left and right. Yeah. And it is true that now more people that identify as left wing are, are wealthier and more established yeah. people in society. That is true. And I think that is reflected in the politics. So is it it's in their interest to maintain the economic status quo? I think so, yeah. In, insofar as if you know, if you want to put a rainbow flag on your Twitter mm. bio, 
that takes no effort. No. You want to actually tackle their economic inequality, that mm. takes effort. And that, that, yeah. that's actually something that it's doesn't happen fucking overnight. fucking difficult, yeah. yeah. Well, you talk about this. It's like the economics has been completely removed from the left-wing argument. It used to be, you know, from each... Uh, from, from each according to his need, for, you know, what is it? To each, to each according each to his need, from each according to their uh, ability. You're going to try and make but, me say it now, and it's, no, a, it's, a, it's a tough sentence to get but out. It's, but that <laughs> economic aspect of, of left-wing thinking has been completely removed. It's now so, yeah. fully identitarian. It's to each according to their, you know, cisgender, binary, non-conformist well, thing. Or, that's, yeah, so that's really interesting. I think we should explore that a bit mm. more, because I think... Uh, I, I, you know, I've spoken to people who, from the social justice camp who will say, no, we are also concerned about class, mm. we're also concerned about poverty, mm. and yet I don't hear much of that noise. And no. sometimes uh, the emphasis on identity, as in race, gender, sexuality, is quite palpably at the expense of yeah. class. And, and, yeah. I do, and, and I just see that absolutely all yeah. the time. Yeah. Well, there's no month or day for working class people that have, you know, where, where's the delivery driver month or the, yeah. you know, I don't know, or the... <laughs> Is it because during the Brexit mm. uh, debate, yeah. I did see, I'm afraid, a lot of demonisation of working class people, and yeah. particularly after the vote came out. Yeah, and, 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 and I did it. And you were part I, of it. I, on, the, on, on Brexit... You're the worst. The, dude, after the, after the referendum, I remember walking around with my dad around Hackney going, these fucking idiots don't understand... They just don't fucking understand. It's just fucked the country. Yeah. Like, I had that fully arrogant attitude towards a, a fully democratic process. And... I think and a lot of people had that. I think a lot of people had it, but it's... But also, the, but it, was, of, yeah. it was tinged with class prejudice. Not, not in your mm. case, necessarily. Yeah, it was fully in my case. Yeah. Oh, right, OK. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you, there was a lot of that. There yeah. was a lot of that. And I, and I just think a lot of it is tied up with a kind of mistrust. Mm. You know, even in the early days when we were talking about, like, comedians like Dapper Laughs and people would say that... Yeah. that his comedy was potent and dangerous, right? Mm. They weren't saying that about Jimmy Carr's uh, comedy, which was yeah. similarly dark. Yeah, the, the Dapper Laughs thing is the perfect example because that was one of the sort of canaries in the coal mine for, yeah. uh, for sort of woke cancel culture because he was, he was brutal. He was fully cancelled. I remember he went on Newsnight um, sort of cap in hand in a roll neck top yes, trying to look as middle class really as repentant. possible. Yeah. Repentant. <laughs> and he'd like sort of, he, he'd sort of lost all his... Um, you know, working class visual signifiers, and suddenly he was a sort of mm. middle class performance artist, and he really came to the middle classes, the educated middle classes, to explain to them why he'd made this rape joke, which wasn't funny, and it was a bit like, oh, dude, come on. Well, look, he but, wasn't my cup of tea in terms of what he did. But Frankie no. Boyle, who I love as a comedian, had, Jesus, the, the rape jokes that guy did, and he's still the darling of woke culture. The hypocrisy was insane, and it was fully classist. Not yeah. that Frankie Boyle is, is, well, Frankie Boyle is now middle class. That's the thing. It's like he may have grown up working class, yeah, but yeah. he is fully middle class now. Yeah. And Dapper Laughs was making comedy for, the, for like, working class people. Yes. But it wasn't acceptable. And I, and I think that, like I say, through the Brexit vote, but more generally now, that, that, that's something that I'm detecting more and more. Mm. And I don't know why it is. I don't know why you get more of the kind of social justice activism in the universities that have the more privileged kids, for yeah. instance. And I don't, I don't know quite what's going on there. Do you have any ideas? Well, I'm, I'm, I went to private school. Okay. And then I went to Sussex. So you'll know university. better than I will, yeah. Um, I think it's, um, I mean, it's not, it's not that complicated. I think it's um, a way of making yourself feel better about yourself often, justifying your position in society. Is it about the appeal or allure of victimhood as well? I mean... To a degree, in, yeah. Insofar as I, I, I did, I, I, I remember giving a talk at a, um, a very, very privileged school, very posh mm. school. Um, and the kids were, do were doing a talk about the patriarchy and how <laughs> oppressed they were Yeah, because uh, it was a girls' school. Mm. And I was thinking, OK, look, you, you probably do face sexism, and I, mm. I, I'm, I wouldn't deny that for a second, yeah. but you're also independently wealthy, a lot of you millionaires. Um, mm. I, I don't know whether you're the oppressed demographic, really. I, I worry that the word oppression has come to mean something else. Yeah, well, there's an obsession with oppression and yeah and there's currency in oppression now and i think you'd find in a lot of these you know private schools that people have found something to be oppressed about or say that they're oppressed about i think a lot of it a lot of it comes from a good place it's like when, yeah, yeah. when i was doing social justice at uni as a privileged kid at sussex university where everybody is obsessed with particularly the palestine israel issue and social justice generally like i felt like i was changing things I felt like this was the way to change things and I think yeah. there is space for it but I think like it's like we're still operating in a world where social justice is a sort of marginal thing but it's become such a powerful mainstream thing that 
it's important to check that power. Yeah. You know, people talk about punching up and punching down. It's presumably really important to check the power of something that has multiple millions of people on social media that can end careers, that can change government policy. You know, Boris Johnson will change government policy in a second mm -hmm. if there is a, a, a successful enough social, ju uh, social justice campaign. That's a powerful movement. So it's interesting that you're, you've alluded there to the motives of people and how it's well-intentioned largely. And I agree with you. I've, I've um, often had a lot of criticism because I will often say, I think mm. the majority of social justice activists on Twitter are well-intentioned. Yeah, Even so. the ones who are being vicious, I yeah. think they've kind of convinced themselves mm. that, what, that they're on the side of the angels. And so in their head, they can completely demon. I mean, I've been mobbed by yeah. the be kind lot yeah. quite a lot yeah. and they, they you know and they, they have absolutely no regard for my mental health clearly right. yeah. they have absolutely no you know they can mm. be the most inhumane yeah. people but, I, it, yeah. but I'll bet yeah, I know. <laughs> but I'll bet I'll bet they think it's good because they, yeah. I think if, if you've decided that someone is less than human yeah then what you're doing is actually a, a positive thing I guess yeah because is that something to do with how social media is social media is kind of gamified social justice it's like you never really yeah. have to meet any of the people they're just Twitter avatars. So that is that is something like that. So you it's, don't know it's that. that a... But it's also, I guess, if you genuinely believe that people who voted for Brexit are fascists, mm. well, you know, I would if I'm yeah. if, if I was sitting with a fascist, mm. I would be quite angry with that person. I, w I wouldn't want to sit with a fascist. I yeah. would I would I would hate that person. I think you know, and I, I so I get it. And if they yeah. sincerely believe it, well, this is this is why I think it is really important that you and I, I really respect what you did. A few years ago now because you you know got all this shit for it and it must have been difficult for you and your mental health and so respect for that and I think it is important for more and more and more people people to come out and, and voice their concerns about the problems with this movement you know Glenn Greenwald and Matt Taibbi two of the greatest campaigning journalists in the world in my opinion who are very left-wing yeah are coming out and talking they've about suddenly just they've suddenly they've gone just gone it. this is crazy guys yeah. we need to stop and I think um, part of what it is I think the, the Hunter Biden thing was a good example, right? Mm. Because it's like um, nobody that I, or very few people that I know on the left talk or discuss or even know about what happened with Hunter Biden, right? Because they, they never read about it. There was no, yeah, yeah. Pre there was nothing in their bubble about it. So they didn't engage in it. And as a result, you know, that doesn't, fe that doesn't become part of their discussion and their narrative. Yeah, yeah. And it's because they are, um, it's because the stuff you're saying isn't part of the media narrative that they're getting within their bubble, that is they it, don't understand who is you it worth, are. Is it worth clarifying what the Hunter Biden incident was? Yeah, we should, yeah. Yeah, insofar yeah. as there was a story about him, yeah. uh, about his computer, yeah, uh, and he'd left it, I think, at a, a repair shop or mm. something like that, and of course there were all these yeah. emails and various things well, he, that suggested... He was allegedly smoking a lot of crack at the time, yeah. so he left his laptop at the, uh, at the repair shop and didn't pick it up. Okay, and the yeah. emails were quite incriminating yeah. in, in, in terms of they implied an association or, or some political they, corruption. They implied that he was selling access to his dad, who's right. the current president of the United States, to Ukrainian and Chinese energy companies, which is fucking terrifying. And newsworthy. I <laughs> and newsworthy. You know, yeah. And like real corruption. And even if, you know, it, you know, even if it was just him promising and not delivering, yes. I want to know about that because the guy's dad is the president so, of the United States. So then what happened is that Twitter... Mm literally prevented you from sharing yeah. the article. Uh, they even shut down the account of the New York Post. Terrifying. And that's not just some fringe blog. Yeah. That's an old, old uh, newspaper. That's, yeah. uh, you know, it, it, it was yeah. established by Hamilton, for goodness yeah. sake. It's, it's an old, important newspaper. And they blocked it. And also, not only that, and I know this because people I know tried to do it, if you shared the link, mm. if you tried to send the link to someone, it wouldn't let you. So they completely suppressed this story. That that's was so dystopian, isn't it? And, and we have the same thing now, you know, where, where for a long time, if, if anyone suggested that there might be a possibility <laughs> yeah. that the COVID virus yeah. was leaked from Wuhan in a yeah. lab, um, that those accounts would be deleted, yeah. the posts would be deleted. Mm. And now Facebook and Twitter and the rest of them are mm. saying, oh, well, maybe. So, so I think the moral of this story is maybe Facebook and Twitter and the rest of them shouldn't be deciding what we can read and what we can't read, yeah. right? Absolutely. So why yeah. is it that so many people are cheering them on? It's on, on the left, yeah. by the way. It's I really bizarre. have to emphasize I, this. I don't know, because I remember after Iraq, uh, and we had the Patriot Act and George Bush, Bush and Cheney were trying to push through these really 
sort of spooky surveillance mm. laws that would allow them to be in all our computers. And, you know, Edward Snowden mm. exposed it all and we saw what was happening. And it was the left that came out against that. And they were like, this is spooky. We, want, we need our privacy. We need our freedoms. But now the left are cheering on social media companies that are doing stuff twice. It's just as spooky. I don't understand Can you still... how they square that. So now that you're saying, you know, you've, you've had enough of the social justice movement, not that you're, but not that you're against social justice, right? That's the thing. That it, I'm, I'm still for social justice that you can prove has a net positive impact on society or even the cause that you claim it's helping. Yeah. You know, it's like, um, yeah. Well, let's give an example. So one of your columns mm. was about uh, an arms manufacturer. Yeah. Who uh, had invested quite a lot of money in workshops about microaggressions. So, yeah, the arms company Northup Grumman, we had a, a wokey leak from someone from Northup Grumman who um, was telling us that they do microaggression trainings for arms dealers. So obviously arms dealers don't get triggered while they're sell selling ballistic missiles to no, that's brutal fine. regimes. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's okay. But it was interesting because he was leaking that. He was, he was a sort of patriot. He was kind of a right-wing guy that worked for a defence company. And his point was, um, you know, I, I'm really worried about uh, the way in which this sort of woke... Um, self-loathing culture in America is jeopardizing our defense because yeah. you can't have people teaching the employees of a defense company that America is built on racism and should be deconstructed because the whole point of a defense company is to defend America, right, mm. and, and America's interests. That was his point. I'm a lefty and I completely disagree with him. For me, it's like, if you're teaching microaggressions in arms companies, you've lost, like, the movement is dead. Yeah, like if, yeah. if that is really what it's come to, that you think you're making the world a better place by not, by not allowing arms dealers to get triggered, then we really need to rethink what this movement is because so many of my lefty friends would agree that microaggressions are a real thing and we should really talk about them and we should take up multiple hours of people's time in, uh, in work with training videos on how not to do them. But, well, but it's like, is that well, really well, you know, what our movement has come down well, to? Well, don't get me wrong. I think it's perfectly possible to inadvertently offend someone yeah. by being a bit thoughtless, right? True. And that's, that's, so that's a real thing. So in that sense, microaggressions are real. I don't, you know, but in, in the real world, in, in human interaction, if I accidentally offend you, you yeah. say, oh, mate, that was a bit out of order. Can we talk about that? And we sort it out. Yeah. What you don't do is you don't write an account of it, post it on Twitter, say mm. everyone attack him, destroy yeah. him because he just said something by accident. You know, th this is the difference. It's a different culture now. But also the corporatization of it all. It's like, we, you know, we had this with health and safety about 20 years ago, right? Yeah. Where, I don't know if you've ever worked in a place you didn't want to work in, you had to do a health and safety training video. You literally made you want to murder yourself because <laughs> it was like, don't step on a rake. And you'd be like, yeah, yeah I yeah. fucking know not to step on a fucking rake, you idiot. <laughs> Now we've got three more hours on how not to step on rakes. It's like, this is what, and, and there's, that is what microaggressions are. It's like, it, it's become this, it's been corporatized. The whole thing has been corporatized. So, well, it's not just that. It's, it's, it's things like unconscious bias training. Now, yeah. now, you would have thought with something like that, again, I think we can all acknowledge that we all have infinite unconscious biases. We have to because mm. we're human beings. Mm. Um, but what's interesting about the training is all of the research into this training shows that it does not work. Yeah. It categorically does not work. And in fact, uh, if it does have an effect, it often makes the workplace a little bit more racist. <laughs> and that, these are the studies that are yeah. saying that it, it is kind of incontrovertible. It is yeah. incontrovertible, right? Yeah. So given that we know that, mm. why are we still persisting? I had a message from a teacher friend recently saying, oh, I've got to go through this unconscious bias training. Yeah. And my message to him was, Say no. Yeah. Say you're not going to do it. Right? Had, because that's, yeah. that's the way to stop We've it. We've had a lot of leaks from, from people in organisations that are having to go through, you know, critical race theory training, unconscious bias training. Often people of colour emailing us who are pissed off that they've got white people telling them how to feel about racism mm. and they can't complain because it's mandated. Yeah. Um, you talk about this. There's something really insidious about this term critical race theory because as soon as you say you, you disagree with it, you're like, what, you disagree with being against racism. It's like, no. Yeah, exactly. But you, you don't have, you haven't, none of my lefty friends have read the books. Like I've read Robin DiAngelo's book and, and Remy Eno Lodge's book. And, and there's some, there's a lot of stuff in those books that I agree with wholeheartedly. Yeah, like yeah. we all, people are riddled with racism. There's racism in almost every organization. I totally agree with all that stuff. Huge inequality between different races that we need to address. But then it's a bit like Steve Bannon, right? I went to see Steve Bannon talk once, okay? Don't agree with hardly anything Steve Bannon. I don't agree with any of Steve Bannon's solutions for how to make the world a yeah, better yeah. place. But if you go and listen to Steve Bannon identify the problems in society, you're like, fuck, you're right. 
this guy knows what he's talking about, but his solution is build a wall. So like, yeah. then you're like, oh, come on, man. Like, you just identified all the problems in society and your solution is to ban all immigrants and build a wall. Fuck you. It's the same yeah. thing with the CRT stuff. These guys are really good at identifying and showing where racism is in society, but their solutions are things like separate people into different racial groups in companies and schools. Yes. It's bonkers. But so segregation. Or, you yeah, know. yeah. I mean, I, I, I go even further than that, is that sometimes they do misidentify, a lot of the time they do misidentify, because one of the central tenets mm. of critical race theory is that actually there is no such thing as a human interaction or social institution that doesn't have racism at its core, Right. which is a kind of yeah. faith. That's a kind of religious faith. Yeah. Uh, and, and even when the data... They say that, in, they, they say that it's not, it is anti-blackness in the room, yeah. it's where. Right, ex exactly. That's one of the things she says. I, I had a kind of, uh, well, this is what, I mean, Robin D'Angelo uh, creates a kind of situation where you can't win mm. because her entire thesis on white fragility mm. is that all white people are racist. Yeah. And if you call them racist and they get defensive, that's proof of their racism. Right. They are exhibiting white fragility. Right. So you can't win. And she describes some moments in her book where she has some quite racist thoughts. She's a racist. And then she basically is. And then no, she, but she admits it. I'm not... And then she extrapolates her. that every other white person has those thoughts. I'm like, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> that's not... That's she, you. She has said explicitly, I am a racist. So we are allowed to say that she's... Yeah. Said, but she absolutely <laughs> is. I mean, there's the, there's the moment in the book where she talks about going to the party, the street party. Yeah. And on one and side... she feels uncomfortable hanging out with some black people. Basically. Like, what she, are you talking says, about? Because I think there's a lot of black people in one party and a lot yeah. of white people. And she thinks, and she oh, goes, I hope I haven't been invited to the I black one. I felt very uncomfortable. And I, and and I, I realised... Oh, well, I wouldn't know. That's your yeah, issue. That's your issue, yeah. But I suppose I, it's, it's that kind of a psychological thing that if everyone's, if all white people are racist, that kind of exonerates her of her own racial thoughts. Is that what it is? I don't want to be I, a psychologist. So maybe she's trying to just bring some people down with her. I don't know. It's, <laughs> it's very odd. She says that all everybody is complicit in white supremacy, including the Jews. The Jews right. are complicit in white supremacy. Because they've had an easy time of yeah, it. Yeah, you can't be racist towards Jews. It's impossible. So it's how, never happened in the history of the world. Racism so, towards Jews. So we can critique this stuff all we like, but the more that we do, and the more that you say things like Bannon's got some good ideas, yeah. you, you, you get positioned on one side of an argument. I got yeah. into a very big row with a comedian because I had written an article. Remember there was that Day for Freedom thing in London? It was a, a freedom of speech rally, right. but Tommy Robinson was one of the organisers. Yeah. And because I'd said this isn't, that not yeah. everyone at this thing is a far-right yeah, activist, because yeah. most people weren't, yeah. right? I, I was there, this person said to me, oh, so now you're a Tommy Robinson supporter. Yeah, yeah. That's right. I hadn't yeah. even mentioned him. I was talking. I know. Fuck Tommy Robinson. It doesn't. You're allowed to. Yeah. I've done. I've done films on Tommy Robinson and the BNP exposing them. I, I have not. Obviously, I'm sure you don't. Either, no, I, but, I have no truck with BNP or any yeah, of that yeah. kind of thing. I'm not a nationalist. I don't no, have any. No, but suddenly, I don't care about because it. I say free speech is for everyone, even people yeah. I disagree with. That means I must endorse yeah. the the most reactionary elements of society. It's yeah. it's it's. it's I want it's, to say it's stupid thinking. It is, it's stupid. It There's is no just nuance. stupid, There's isn't it? There's just no nuance. And yet it's people the most about it. intelligent people yeah. I know saying this stuff. So really? how has that... Honestly, if I told you their name, <laughs> you would be shocked. Um, why don't you tell me how that can be the case? How can someone who is objectively smart not see... That's the, the, so much nuance. Yeah. I wish I knew who it was and I could give you a good assessment. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really... I'm not in the business of... Yeah, know, outing I'm, people. I'm not. Yeah. I'm not. How are so many smart people lacking so much nuance? Are they? I don't know. Is it? Is it that? I see. I think critical race theorists and all these people—they're very yeah. intelligent people. And, you, and, and I'm and, not sure Robin DiAngelo is. To be honest, I, I think okay. her book is moronic. A book is stupid. Yeah. But, uh, but, just, yeah. but there are intelligent. There are people like Ibram X. Kendi, yeah. uh, Renée Dolodge. You mentioned. Yeah, these she's are very smart. These are smart. Good people. book. I enjoyed her book. It was good. But there's certain parts where you're like, I'm not sure about that. That feels really uncomfortable. It, it does the thing of, um, uh, it outlines very well and talks about the history of, 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 of the British complicity and the slavery. History, yeah, the history and stuff is great. I think what it does, what it tends to do, though, is make the leap yeah. to the assumption uh, that um, almost that people are not teaching history accurately from a racist motive, that kind of thing. You know, mm. And I, I, I just, I don't like this idea of, of trying to intuit uh, people's motives for things. I think that's a problem. Yeah. And that's actually the baseline of critical race theory because it assumes that racism is everywhere, even when it may not be. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we've had leaks from, you know, we, we had a leak from someone, a person of colour, in the British security establishment. Right. So, uh, can you tell us spy more? Spy security agencies. You have to be a bit careful about this one. I have you? to be careful about okay, this. Yeah, yeah. Who um, was so frustrated that they were being um, lectured about how racist society is mm. by white people but they had no one to turn to within the organisation because 
it's 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 sort of man mandated as fact. It, it's yeah. so insidious that this stuff has become so sort of de rigueur in, all, in, in almost every major institution, definitely in the charity sector, in most government institutions, most corporations are doing this stuff now. There's a thing about Coca-Cola being saying, be less white or something, which is a direct quote from um, Robin D'Angelo. Her solution, her solution to solving racism is to be less white. And if you've ever been to Notting Hill Carnival and walked past a bunch of boys from Eton, you'll know that being trying to be less white is the whitest thing anyone can fucking do. Yeah. It's the most <laughs> lame solution to solving racism. And, and, and corporations like Coca-Cola have taken this on, being like, yeah, being less, try to be less white. Be That's less the white. way to solve, to solve racism. And um, so there isn't, and, and I don't think people realize because they haven't read these books, that, this, that there is a wholesale takeover of corporations with this, this type of thinking. Mm. And if you're doing something like, I mean, I didn't know half of this stuff until, until I started doing this, but now I'm reading about like, you know, schools where kids come home crying because they've been separated into white and black mm. demographic groups because of this CRT teaching. And, and I'm like, this is mad. Well, I think they framed and it in a very clever way insofar as they call this discourse anti-racism, for instance. Mm. And, and Ibram X. Kendi will say, has said, uh, that the, the, the dichotomy of racist and not racist isn't factual because not racism is a form of racism. Mm. He says you have to be actively anti-racist. In other words, you have to go along with these, these ideas. Yeah. So again, it gets you in that sort of bind. Yeah. But because they use the language of progressivism, what, what it masks, I think, is that a lot of this is very regressive. Mm. And what people don't realise is that people like me are saying there is an alternative to tackling racism. Yeah. It's not that we don't want racism to be tackled. Right. It's that there's a better way. And yeah. the better way is social liberalism. Oh, yeah, or even just like, can I just pick and choose some of the ideas from that book right, and, like, right. and throw some out because I think they're crazy? Like, is that okay? Or do I have to just take on board every single thing I read because it's sacred? Right. That's, that's what the way uh, this, you know, the woke movement, it has, does have religious elements to it. And it's like you can't critique a book. You're not allowed to critique white fragility on the left because it's seen as like a sacred text. It's like, fuck off. There's loads of mad shit in it. Yeah. Read it. <laughs> Read a good it. example of this would be the intersectionality because yeah. when, when, when Kimberly Crenshaw uh, came up with this concept, she was right. She was right that, uh, um, well, the example she it was about a legal case with General Motors. Right. And what she discovered was that, um, uh, that their defense, when black women were saying, you know, they're being discriminated against at work, yeah. the company's defense was, well, we're not racist because we've got all these black men. Yeah. We're not sexist because we've got all these white yeah. women. Right. And of course, black women were falling through the cracks. Yeah. And it is possible because intersectionality, the idea being that it's, it's like a, um, an analogy, the idea that you're at an inter intersection of a crossroads. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. can be hit by multiple yeah, forms of oppression. Yeah, yeah, she's point. right. Yeah. Okay, she's right. Yeah. But, but that's become a kind of religion. Mm. It's, it's, it's become a kind of a way to almost um, uh, put various minority groups against each other in a kind of hierarchy of grievance. It's very much divide and conquer a lot of this. Yeah, which, which wasn't what she originally envisaged. Right, yeah. But so, so how can we say... Let's critique elements of this, mm. but let's take the positive elements as well. How can mm. we do that without this tribalism that yeah. says, unless you accept it wholesale, you are on the other side? I don't know. I'll give you an example of the divide and conquer. There's a, a huge focus in the uh, homelessness sector right now on race as a cause of homelessness, right? Mm -hmm. The largest number of people that are living on the streets in most major cities are single white men. And there are obvious these key racial things that determine, you know, lack of privilege and, and housing overcrowding and homelessness and stuff like that. But there are many heuristics through which to understand that. And I think it's quite arbitrary and, and lacking nuance to just focus on race exclusively. Yeah. If I was the Tory party and I cut and I've been, you know, doing austerity for the last 10 years and cutting, you know, public funding and housing and all that sort of stuff. I would love it if everyone turned around and said, the reason everyone's homeless is because of racism. I'd be like, yeah, yeah, it's the racism. Yeah, <laughs> it's not my austerity. Yeah, yeah it's not me. It's, it's because everyone's racist. That's totally fine. But I, I'm going to it's this weird distraction from what's actually happening. Yeah. And a lot of what's actually happening is the is economics like we, we talked about before. And that has been completely overlooked. And I think there's something else. There's no unifying narrative on the left anymore. The only unifying narrative on the left is criticism, is working, working out what the, ver the various injustices are within our country or within Western society, okay? And I, for me, this is why Boris Johnson still has these huge approval ratings, right? Because even though it's a really old and tired and done um, narrative, it, it, it is a narrative, you know, it's sort of old school patriotism, it's nationalism, it's mm -hmm. the idea of sort of national identity, it's get behind Britain and send the gunboats in, all that sort of stuff. You may think it's lame, but it, it's a narrative. 
There is no narrative on the left other than what is wrong with society. And this is why Jeremy Corbyn fucked up so much, is because all he could do was critique. There was no yeah. vision. And like, I really would love for my, my lefty peers to, 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 to kind of work out what the vision is. Like, well, there was how a vision. Can we const yeah. When it was class, yeah. there's a very direct vision. Get rid of the... The, you know, it, it, it's very, it's very get clear. Get rid of the bourgeoisie, yeah. Right, okay. Yeah. Okay. So we need to get rid of... Those, those with the means of production. It was, yeah. very, you know, it was, yeah. it was very clear at one point. And, and mm. identity at the expense of class, that's not such a good vision. Yeah. Particularly if you're white working class. Yeah. You're, you're probably not, you probably don't care about people's pronouns and stuff like that. Not that mm. you're, you're going to be impolite or anything. Mm. But it's not your priority. Mm. You know, and I think that that does generate an awful lot of resentment. Yeah. Yeah, I think it does. I get very frustrated by the, mm. the way in which sexual identity has become almost a battleground in the culture war now. Mm. Not just with pride and corporate pride that we've talked about, yeah. but in terms of the proliferation of gender identities yeah. um, and, and sexual identities. Things that, you know, there isn't a history of sapiosexuals being oppressed. You know, they weren't tied to stakes. What are sapiosexuals? Sapiosexual is when you're attracted to the, the, the mind. Oh, okay. Uh, and then there's right. things like somnisexual. That's someone who's only attracted to people in their dreams, you know. And, and all of these... Are, that's creepy. They've all got... Yeah, the, yeah it's a bit like Freddy Krueger, but a kind of erotic version. <laughs> yeah. They've all got their own flags as mm. well and their own identities. There's a lot of them, but it feels redundant to me because there is a history of persecution of gay men yeah. and lesbians that is tangible that is there mm. there isn't a history of persecution of asexuals or somnisexuals mm. or so 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 tagging it all together to me just it, it, it strikes me as a bit belittling mm. of the actual struggle for get for gay equality is that how you feel that is how i feel mm. i mean is that not a fair point yeah yeah i think um, yeah. i think um yeah I'm, I'm just i mean for me a lot of this stuff is just i think for most people it's very confusing and there seems to be bitter bitter wars over the whole thing I well, there's one article that you wrote uh, which, was, which struck me as relevant to this mm. because it's almost about the way in which a fetish mm. can be reinterpreted as a sexual identity. And then we... Do you want to explain? You know the article I'm talking about. Yeah, so, so um, people often um, will tell you that there is no way that gender identity could be abused. And if someone feels like they're a certain gender, that is what they are. And there's no way that anyone can take advantage of it. I have examples, people that I know who... Um, identify as non-binary as as they them so not male um, except they are and their sexual fetish is to hook up with much much younger women um, in in, uh, in 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 domestic and sexual sub fetish scenes so that means that basically you have a bunch of young women that live with you who cook and clean for you and then suck you off Right, that's your fetish. Thanks for clarifying that. That's your fetish. <laughs> but and you're a much older man, right? Yeah. But you don't identify as a man, so so therefore, it's... so it's fine. You have the you you have the sexual fetish of a 1950s patriarch, yeah. right? Yeah. But it's fine because you don't identify as a man. So you've reinscribed it as a kind of uh, that you are almost a kind of victimized. Yeah, you're a minority. Yeah. So this group. is this is this is all fine. And maybe it is all fine. I don't know. I'm just saying that. It's, um, there, there, there is, there's surely a debate to be had around this stuff. Yeah, I, 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 I do find it strange that the, the gay thing became drawn into this. I mean, this, mm. this, I used to do a joke, I used to do a stand-up routine where, and this is going back a long time now, mm. because back then it was LGBT and they started adding Q and then I and then A. Yeah. And I did have a whole routine about where I introduced all the letters and I mm. found that, you know, and then I couldn't do it anymore. Mm. About two years ago, I had to stop doing that routine because the gay community was doing it for real. Right. And, and it suddenly right. became this big pr proliferation of letters. And it's it's very confusing. Well, Glenn Greenwald talks about this. There was a huge survey in the States recently. And there's, a, you know, Glenn, Glenn Greenwald says as a gay man that, you know, the, the notion of being bisexual is almost meaningless at this point because mm -hmm. it's like, you know, I'm, I'm, I've had sex with guys. It's like I'm bisexual. Am I? I don't know. I don't think I am. I'm heterosexual. But yeah. it's totally fine for me to admit that I've hooked up with a guy. Like, yeah. it's I don't feel, okay, fine, I live in London, a metropolitan, liberal, open-minded city, and that, that doesn't exist in other, other places. But the, the Glenn Greenwald um, thing was a study. What was this, this study in the States where huge numbers of people are now identifying as, as bisexual and as trans, but much fewer people are now identifying as lesbian. Did you read yes. about this? No, oh, this is a common, this, mm. I, I, I have lesbian friends who are continually going on about this, that, right. that actually people are identifying out of, out of womanhood. Right. That almost womanhood is the problem. Right. Uh, it, because a significant proportion, overwhelming proportion of people who detransition yeah. are girls, are yeah. lesbians in fact. Right. And this is why they're concerned about yeah. this, that, that, that actually it's, it's a... 
Well, I, I was thinking about this. There's, there doesn't seem to be, you know, we have things like RuPaul's Drag Race, which is great. It's a celebration of, I guess, you know, men that identify as women or men that become women or men that are women or were always women, whatever. Yeah. It's like, a, it's a celebration of femininity, right? Mm -hmm. And it's fantastic. And, but it doesn't exist on the flip. It's like, where is our celebration of butch lesbian women being more manly than men? Yeah. Doesn't exist. In fact, it doesn't exist anywhere in society. Like Orange is the New Black is perhaps one example of, of a famous, you know, butch lesbian cast of characters that you can watch and get on board with. It doesn't well, really exist in society. I get confused with the drag thing because about 10 years ago, there were a lot of discourses among the social justice left that drag was an offensive parody of womanhood. Mm. And that actually that was to be problematized. Yeah. But then they changed that, flipped that quite radically yeah. to the extent that now drag queens should be uh, reading stories to kids. <laughs> This you know. is the, the whole, the, the, the argument around, you know, the, the whole JK Rowling thing and why someone hates someone because they have a question around gender. It's more confusing than like the Sunni Shia thing. Like no yeah. one understands what the fucking argument is about yeah. beyond a tiny subset of people in, 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 in like liberal fucking Hackney or Notting Hill. Like no one understands what this argument is about. No one cares. No one no. wants anyone to be discriminated against for whatever they want to do in life. But they also want to be able to have the conversation around what's going on. Well, I think you've hit on something there. That, that's really important is that because so few people understand the intricacies of this stuff, yeah. when they do raise a question online and they're suddenly attacked, <laughs> right. they don't get what's going they're on. They're like, what? I just, I just, I just, just asked a question. I just start reading about this stuff and yeah. I want to know what, you know. But, but that's, a ve that's a big danger, isn't it? When we, when we cultivate a society in which the conversations we need to have cannot be had. Yeah. Because you I'm are... scared about having this conversation with you right now. So you should be. And it's not, and just to say, <laughs> just to say, I totally support all trans people and their rights to be whoever they want. But, that, but I'm that's... scared that I'm, I'm scared that people are going to think I don't because but, I might have said the wrong thing three minutes ago. It's but been... that's a given to me, right? Yeah. So I would assume that you would support yeah, anyone's rights. Yeah. And I, I expect, expect people to assume the same of me. Yeah. That I don't have prejudice towards trans people yeah. or gay people or any, anything like that. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, they make that assumption straight away. So any kind of criticism, yeah. I mean, even Stonewall's been doing this. Yeah. So anyone who says, I've got some concerns about your diversity champion scheme. I've got some concerns about the way you've been misrepresenting the law yeah. when it comes to universities and corporations, right? That's a legitimate concern. And yeah. what does the head of Stonewall say? Oh, well, uh, you're all the same as anti-Semites then. Like, it's, it's, I read about that, yeah. It's absolutely insane. The interpretation of... It's, assumption of hate. It's, it's dinner party uh, etiquette politics. It's the same thing. It's like, imagine everyone around the table and someone says, well, you know, the, mate, you know, there are some uh, concerns around immigration. And everyone goes, <gasps> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then everyone's quiet and there's like an awkward silence. That is our politics now. It's like you literally, yeah, yeah, yeah. you can't say the wrong thing at the dinner party table because um, we're all middle class. What's wrong with getting something wrong? What's wrong Completely. with asking a question, getting it a bit wrong, yeah. and, and having a conversation yeah. about it and realizing, oh, okay, asking I was wrong about that. 100%, yeah. You know? Yeah. Rather than having people, I mean, last week at, a, at Cardiff University, protesters, um, had, they'd actually, because some academics had criticised Stonewall's mm. diversity champion scheme and the relationship with the university, yeah. student protesters actually produced a leaflet mm. with their photographs, names, uh, and a little image of a woman with a gun, very threatening, violent yeah. language. I mean, they, yeah. this is the discourse now. So, so you know, yeah. we, these people are hateful and, it, and therefore we can be hateful towards them. And it's important we have this discussion because there are real consequences to this. The stuff that is taking place in prisons, you know, there, there are some, there are concerns around people who um, have criminal sexual histories yeah. in prison men who then identify as women and go into, into women's prisons or immediately put into women's prisons and then sexual abuse takes place. This has happened and, and there are court cases going on about this right now. And I don't know, I just want to know that that doesn't happen. Yeah, I, mean, I don't want to, I wouldn't want you know someone to be stuck in a prison cell with a sexual offender who has decided to identify as a woman in order to be put into a women's prison that for me is terrifying I, I you know I respect all trans rights but I'd like to know what's going on there please and well, for it, us to have that conversation well, it, it's one of those well-intentioned policies that is trying to to, to be compassionate yeah. towards trans people which but is what great it, but what it does is it leaves it open to exploitation by, by predators, right. and it's not like this is a common thing we should yeah. emphasize, but, but this has and happened. That, and that's why, has happened. that's why I make the point earlier about this person that identifies as, as sort of non-binary, but has these you know, young girlfriends, not because I think he's doing anything wrong, it's like, fine, everything's legal that, that you're yeah, yeah, doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a bit weird, but fine. But like, um, there, there, is clearly the, 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 there is clearly some latitude to abuse 
of course this this system and the, and the tolerance that people are trying to and we need to be careful of that and that needs to be a conversation that you have while protecting people's rights to be who they want to be can i ask you a bit about comedy and the comedy industry yeah. because i think one of your main concerns is likely to be mm. how this will be received amongst comedians mm. uh, I, I mean i can only speak from my experience but the the most uh, vitriol i got was from mm. fellow comedians yeah um not all of them i should say i'm still friends with a few mm. um <laughs> but, but a handful yeah. um and, and it was and it was and it wasn't the case when i was mocking the Tories and Donald mm. Trump and that kind of thing I did yeah that was okay yeah mocking the social justice movement that was that was what did it for a, a lot of people and, right and and so do you anticipate that, that comedians in particular might turn on you for this or will they start saying okay well if <coughs> ha if Hayden's doing it I don't know man I'm bit I am scared about it because I'm scared of people hating me obviously everyone is and you know I just ugh, comedy's become really boring and um, it has, you know, every time you turn on the TV, um, fuck Boris Johnson um, sort of apparently is, is a joke now. Yeah, that's so, like, a punchline. That's a punchline. Or, or, or Brexit voters are racist. Brexit that's, voters, that's, yeah. Yeah, and I, I think, like, my position on this is often misconstrued. So I'm mm. often told that, oh, you think that you can't joke about anything, mm. you can't say what you want anymore. I've never mm. said this. I've never yeah. made this claim. I've never said that comedians are being censored. You know, I've never said that. What I'm saying is comedians are often self-censoring. Self yeah, right. exactly. Well, that's, yeah, completely. It's, the, it's, the, it's Brave New World versus 1984, right? We're all doing it to ourselves now. We don't need to be told to do it. So I'm um, not imagining this. Then. No, because it's, look, Bill Hicks was kicked off The Letterman Show I think in the 80s or 90s, because he was doing stuff about the uh, anti-abortion movement, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I've read an article in The Guardian the other day by lefty comedians basically trying to cancel Bill Hicks from the grave. They were like, oh, it was very problematic, I've a lot of that. his jokes. It's like, are you fucking kidding? You'd have cancelled one of the greatest lefty comic comics in history. Like, there's no one that isn't cancelable to them. They, um, who is it? They, there was, um, oh, oh, fucking, look. Uh, sorry, I'm swearing too much. Um, Brassite. Um, Peter Geddon, right? Yeah. Okay, one of the greatest pieces of it's comedy a great piece of work. ever created. Yeah. Okay. Um, it was an hour of gags about child abuse and paedophilia. And it was at that time, it was Mary Whitehouse and, and, and the right that were outraged and offended about yeah, yeah. this sort of like edgy left wing comedy. And they tried to get these things cancelled, you know. There was even a show called The Mary Whitehouse Experience, right, where lefty comics took the piss out of how offended the right was about everything. Yeah, yeah. Because offending and like pushing boundaries was an exciting, fun thing to do in comedy. Look where we are now. Who are the people that, try, that are trying to cancel comedies? Who yeah. are the people that are trying to cancel gags? And then, but how... It's the left. Well, but, but has this become... Is this because, I mean, I've, I've often thought about this, is why we're in this position, why you can end up with someone on TV who clearly is, hasn't got any material as such, but they are just uh, spouting mm. the right talking points and getting applause rather than laughter. Fuck the Tories. Right. Yay. So, so yeah. is that because... Not the, a Tory, by the way. We'll keep emphasising yeah, this. We'll probably, we, can, we can put it as a strap yeah. line. Is it because of the gatekeepers of the industry? Is it because the people in the industry are basically mm. just... Maybe they just don't know much about comedy and they're just looking for people to endorse their worldview. Is that it? I mean, it's complicated slightly because we have a Tory government, mm. you know, so we have a right wing uh, or a conservative government yeah. in control. So, so I suppose from a, a TV commissioning editor's point of view, they're thinking, well, we mock those who are in power. Mm. So the Tories are in power. Mm. But then when you talk about the culture war, that's like we said before, nothing to do with left and right, actually. And they are some mm. of the most powerful people in society, even though they don't want to be mocked. Maybe it's that. Well, maybe it's that. Yeah. Maybe it's that because because so many of them mm. have completely imbibed they, this ideology. They don't want to laugh at themselves. You know, America mm. is, 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 is a lot better on this. They're sort of coming back from the brink of all this madness. And there's yeah. a strong seed of people who are, you know, just making funny jokes again, not fucking constantly tying themselves in knots about what's, yeah. you know, about etiquette. Well, um, I think maybe in the live experience you get that more because mm. when, when, you, when you have the live comedy experience and people are just so relieved that someone's telling jokes again. Yeah. And, and they're more than that. They're relieved that the, the comic isn't patronising them. Again, this is, it's very middle class, a lot of this. It's like the dinner party Islington conversation. It's like, you know, don't offend people. There's a strong tradition in Britain of people just taking the piss out of each other. Yeah. And it's a sort of form of camaraderie. It's like you, you, anything's, anything's on the table. You'll just gun anyone. If you grew up in the, in the 80s and, and 90s, you'll know that gunning, it was, it, was, it was a way of showing affection almost to your friends. Mm. So like, yeah, yeah, yeah. there is a lot of comedy in that. And it doesn't mean that you hate that person. It could be your best friend in the world. But you're, you know, you point out that he's a bit fat and it's fine. It doesn't mean you hate fatness or fat people. It's just, 
It's just your life. And look, if you are offended, I'm yeah. a bit fat actually because it's yeah. lockdown. I gained a lot of weight in lockdown. Thanks for mentioning that. Yeah, no, don't worry. Um, but I think in um, <laughs> being offended is fine. I think yeah. you know, I, like there are some things that would offend me, and mm. I, I would I would not go and see that act. I think the expectation though mm. that a comedy night that that you might not get offended or that something might uh, that you can be somehow insulated yeah. from the possibility of offence. Yeah. That strikes me as very unrealistic, actually. And I know you can it's terrifying. Up, you can set up a club. There's a club in London where they um, they they guarantee mm. that no one will be offended, and you, <laughs> they, they do. Oh and, my God, that and the, so fun. The comedians sign a contract yeah. saying the things they can't joke Brilliant. about. Yeah. And then audience members will wear a green sticker if if they okay. if they consent to be talked to. Okay. Yeah. And if yeah. they're not, yeah. if they're not, then they don't. Yeah. And and you know what? That, that club is entitled to set up that club. Yeah. I support their right to do it. And maybe mm. there's an audience for that, and that's great, right? Mm. But I think, generally speaking, that's bad for the art form mm. because the, 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 when the best stand-up mm. is exhilarating because it's taking risks, and you sort of don't know where it's going to go, and there might be the chance that you might be upset by Absolutely, something. Absolutely, And that's yeah. sort of fascinating. That's exciting, yeah. There's a, a great book um, called Coddling of the American Mind, which sort of charts how you know, we've all become big babies, essentially, and we protect our kids to the degree that they're not able to look after themselves anymore. And, and I think there is a truth to it. There's a, there's a great book, not to get um, too bookish about it, but there is a great book by Nicholas Taleb called Anti-Fragile. And it's the idea of being anti-fragile. That doesn't just mean you're robust. Yeah. So like someone can insult you, you shrug it off. It means that like people insulting you makes you stronger. Yeah, yeah. And that, that's, that's your immune system, right? That's, that's economics. That's how economies work. If you stress the system, the, the, the economy gets stronger. It's kids. Yeah. And we've forgotten this quite profound truth that there is this, that, you know, systems, humans generally benefit from stresses, not too big a stress, but small stresses make humans stronger and, and, and better. There's like an old wisdom to this. It's the sort of thing that your, your aunt or your grandma might have told you, you know, when you're yeah, a yeah. kid growing up, that sounds like a sort of old, you know, old hackneyed saying, but there's, yeah. a, there's a wisdom to it and we've forgotten it, I think. And you, you know. Well, there's a moment in the coddling of the American mind where he takes the example of penis allergies. Right, and says that penis. Pe not penis oh, allergies. Oh, sorry, no, penis. No, no. Peanut. Pe peanut allergies. Not penis, penis I, allergies. I need to enunciate when yeah. I say that word. It's right. dangerous. Okay. Does he cover uh, penis allergies? He doesn't. That's he doesn't. the one right. omission in the book okay, that I yeah. think they needed to really yeah. rectify. Yeah. Um, but he mentions that, kid, that parents were protecting their kids from the possibility of That's peanut right. allergies. Yeah. And as a result, peanut allergies increased yeah. uh, exponentially. Yeah. Um, and I don't understand the science of that. But he uses mm. that and develops it and, and makes the point that, like you say, kids learn by hurting themselves, yeah. and they, kid, they kids, kids learn by be putting in, in difficult yeah. situations. So might we, uh, this might be a bit of a stretch, might we say that uh, our current um, uh, climate in mm. which people are very risk averse and they don't want to be offended, has that come from years and years of overprotective measures? From yeah, we're, we're look, at the, look at coronavirus, look at COVID. I think we're terrified of risk at the moment. Our whole society is, and um, it's not, you know, Nicholas Taleb says, in Anti-Fragile, that if you're terrified of risk and you, you're, you're terrified of taking risk, you end up with what's called a black swan event. So you build up um, obsoleteness and problems within the system to the point that it all comes crashing down like the 2009 financial crash, right? Yeah. It's like you haven't addressed the problem because you haven't stress tested the system. And I think that's a genuine worry. If we're all so coddled that we don't know how to manage our own lives, we don't know how to avoid risk in a pandemic by doing something sensible, we have to be told where to go and when to stay indoors and what to, and what to do and what not to do. We're, we're not autonomous units anymore that can navigate the world in a safe way. Yeah. We're just, I, we've given all our power to someone else. Um, will you continue mm. writing the WokeLeaks um, column now that you're out? The reason I had to come out is because we've got some big stories coming up. Yeah. It's like I said, like WokeLeaks at uh, protonmail.com is becoming a genuine tip line. Yes. Um, you know, we started it as a kind of tongue-in-cheek thing, but we've had some quite serious, like, emails from people. Yeah. Um, you know, sort of highlighting some quite serious concerns about this new sort of form of sort of, I don't know, woke zealotry. And um, we're going to run some stories about them, but they're, like, serious stories. Yeah. So I think I need to be uh, the author of those stories. So with all these stories that you've uncovered, has it given you any greater sense of why it is... Mm that this, this, this ideology has spread so far, so wide, so quickly, and has achieved so much cultural clout. Yes, I think, I think it's because the scale and the multiplicity of the problems that we face uh, as a society are so great that it's 
easier for us to focus on small problems. You know, it's like making sure people don't get offended in the workplace rather than dealing with global catastrophic climate change. Making sure uh, that you, you cancel Bob because he made an inappropriate joke rather than, you know, I don't know, dealing with the, the huge gulf in prosperity in most Western societies. Well, it societies. changes the organisation because no yeah. one wants to be the person who pisses off Mm. The scary person, the scary woke person with the rainbow flag, mm. who's going to come after you and, yeah. and, and make th make your life difficult, no. and 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 email the boss yeah. and say this person should be fired. So it's a sort of st it. strategy to sort of. I don't think it's as, I don't think it's as calculated as that, mm. because I, because as I say, I think a lot of these people think they're being good. Mm. You know, yeah. I, I spoke to one stand up comic, open mic stand up comic, mm. was saying was getting very upset with me because I was saying I was making the case that stand up should be able to say whatever they want, right? Mm. And 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 she was getting very upset. She was saying you don't understand. I have to go mm. to open mic shows, and at the end of every show, I have to go up to the comics and tell them why they shouldn't have been joking about that, <laughs> these things. I have to do this, yeah. and you're not helping. You should be telling them that they should. You know. yeah. Now, that's to me mad. Mm. And I sort of think, you know, I'm surprised she hasn't been punched for that. Like, because, you know, you're going up and slagging up a comedian's material. Yeah. But she genuinely thought yeah. that what she was doing was not only right and virtuous, mm. but necessary. Yeah. Now that's a that's a mindset that I don't know how to de-radicalize because I think it is I think it is at this point a case of de-radicalization. People often compare it to religious movements. There are religious elements yeah. to it. Um, often at the end of days, you have a, a sort of explosion of cults. Yes, I think it's <laughs> you do, don't you? pretty clear that things are fucked. Yeah, what you've got to do is look at some of the art in the art world right now, and you realise we've reached, reached peak capitalism. It's the we're fall of Rome. Are you actually kind of predicting the, the end I think of the world now? Pretty, things are pretty bad. And I think in moments like that, you know, you have it in Tale of Two Cities. <laughs> just, just before the revolution, there's a great scene that Dickens writes about the, the court of Louis XVI and all of the crazy cults and the babblers and the hangers-on and the courtesans and the people kind of fucking running around the place doing mad fucking shit and getting all the money in the process. It's like we're, we're at peak capitalism. Shit is going to... Fall pretty soon, well, like, and this is this is a, this is a sort of product of that. Well, like late stage Rome was very sort of decadent. And, yeah, and, uh, there's lots of gender ambiguity. Exactly. That, you know, yeah, so yeah, yeah. So we should enjoy it while we can. This is why have as many orgies as you possibly can because it's all going to fall and we're going to go back to like full on sort of like prehistoric barbarism, Stone Age. This is why you've come out because yeah. because, because <laughs> you just you just want to have as many orgies as possible. And you you want to predict the end of the world. Exactly. You yeah. think it's all over? I think it's all over. Yeah. yeah. It's all over, yeah. everyone. So we've. Uh, We've had Hayden Prowse here, the Oracle of Doom. Yeah, it's all uh, over. AKA. Enjoy your wokeness while you can. <laughs> In the meantime, leak to uh, WokeyLeaks and go to The Spectator to check out the WokeyLeaks article. Thank you very much, Hayden, for Thanks coming for on and bearing your soul. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and uh, yes, I would advise, read the WokeyLeaks yeah. uh, columns. And, and please uh, someone at least try to cancel me because if they, I just am going to feel so lame if no one even tried. Imagine if no one tried. Imagine if no one cared. Imagine That'd no be one, the worst like, thing. Yeah, imagine if everyone was just like, yeah. Yeah, so what? It's fine. <laughs> this has been Free Speech Nation, the podcast with me, Andrew Doyle, and my guest Hayden Prowse. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do like and subscribe. Follow us at GB News. And please don't cancel Hayden. See you later.